Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Jeff Achenleck. He is a serial entrepreneur and an outstanding contributor in healthcare co-founder and CEO of Claris Healthcare. At Claris Companion, they're an accessible communications platform that delivers healthcare into the home. It's offered for three kinds of care, social care, chronic care, and acute care. Claris Companion Social Care connects isolated seniors with family members to share photos, videos, messages, and video chat while providing peace of mind to family caregivers. We'll dive into some of the other um, features and uh, abilities of of what they do. I don't want to spill the beans all here at the front of the intro, but what I do want to say is that he's he's been a, a contributor in healthcare across many different areas, specifically technology. And so with true privilege, I want to welcome Jeff to the podcast. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you, Saul. I really appreciate being uh, on your podcast. It's always a lot of fun to tell the story. Uh, I just want to add one little thing to my bio that uh, I find very amusing in this day and age. In 1984, I was part of the team that built the first robot ever specifically designed to assist in surgery, which was used in about 250 surgical procedures. That kind of got me launched on the last 35 years of making weird and wonderful medical devices, the latest of which being the Claris Companion product that you talked about uh, a few minutes ago. Well, fascinating. You've been at it for a long time. I have, yeah. It's uh, I'm starting to feel very old. You know how it is. <laughs> you know. So, so what got you in the in the healthcare to begin with? Do you want the truth or the business story? The business <laughs> story is well, That's actually, no. The philosophical story is. <laughs> right. uh, one of my early mentors said, you know, you should find a career where you can do well by doing good. And healthcare is one of those, you know, marvelous careers where you can actually look back on it and say, not only did I have a good life and earn money and do well, I actually left things better than I arrived. I did good things for people. So that's that's why healthcare is such a good choice for anyone to pursue. The truth is, uh, when I was in university, I met a girl who went into medical school. So I thought something in the medicine field would be a cool idea for an engineer. <laughs> and I ended up becoming a biomedical engineer as a result. So wow. She's not my wife. So there you are. It was, it was worth <laughs> Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, my, my wife is a biomedical engineer. Oh, well, well, good choice, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and so, wow. So fascinating that, that as early as 1984... Yeah. You were already working on robotics. That's right. Today, today that's hot. So, it is hot. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about that and, and how you got started with that. And, and, and yeah, just uh, share some, some of your story there. Well, you know, we were young and stupid and didn't know that it was impossible, I think is the main story. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on it now, I mean, we must have been insane to try and do what we're doing. But yeah, it was uh, the, the team leader that put this group together decided that trying to apply automation robotics technology to healthcare was a thing that we should pursue. So we built this robot to move a patient's leg around under voice control for arthroscopic surgeries. The surgeon could say, you know, elevate the leg, flex the knee, whatever, using a voice control system. And looking back on it now, I mean, it was outrageously ahead of its time. Outrageously Uh, ahead of its time. So, you know, and of course, it was not a commercial success at all. <laughs> we were about 25 years too early. But, uh, you know, it was uh, an amazing demonstration of uh, the possibility when 
you get a bunch of young engineers together who haven't been told you really shouldn't do this, you know. So we, we went ahead and did it. It's a lot of fun. Wow. Amazing. And so today, voice and robotics are the thing. Tell me something that, that you personally are focused on, a hot topic that you feel should be on other leaders' agendas. Well, this is really an important point. The, uh, you know, the realization I came to about 2010, 2012, was that we're facing a massive changeover in the way healthcare is delivered. Uh, we can no longer afford to base everything on institutional care. Uh, there has to be a way to move as much as possible out of institutional settings back into the community and primarily back into the home. And of course, I'm talking about an aging population. I'm talking about uh, more and more people with uh, one or more chronic conditions that need to be managed. And I always say that you know our whole healthcare system was designed around a young, generally healthy baby booner who goes up to the ski hill, breaks their leg, we pop them in the you know, operating room, put a plate in, send them home, and they're good. You know, so it's all based around acute interventions and acute conditions needing to be managed. And that's just not the case anymore. It's now older population, chronic conditions that need to be managed. And we cannot do that in an institutional setting. We can't afford it. And it is the worst possible thing for the patients to put them in uh, into a care home or something too early. Obviously, there's a place for that always. But uh, it's just this is coming at us like a freight train. I think that around 70% of what's currently done in institutional settings has to move into the community and the home. So that's what I think the big thing everyone should be thinking about is. Yeah, it's fascinating. So this is a good opportunity to dive into Claris and, and some of the work that you guys are doing. Give us an example of how you're improving outcomes and uh, improving results by doing and, and thinking differently. Yeah, so as you mentioned, the overall idea of the Claris product line is to deliver healthcare into the home setting, out of the institutional setting. So, I mean, obviously, given what I just said, that's, that's the purpose behind the product lines. Where we've had the biggest impact on outcomes is in the acute care setting. And what we're doing there is we provide a dedicated tablet and appropriate sensors to a patient in their own home before and after an acute intervention. So let's say a knee replacement surgery. And we coach them to be prepared for the surgery, and then we coach them through their recovery afterward. And what we're trying to do is give them the confidence that they can manage this on their own, in their own home, that they're doing the right things, that they're making progress. They have quick access to caregivers, professional care if they need it. But by and large, just telling them that they're doing okay and telling them what they need to do next has a huge impact. And we've seen a 30% reduction in the number of physical therapy visits required to get a patient back to full range of motion. We're getting it done in about 20% less time. You know, we're, we're definitely having an impact on outcomes and the satisfaction of the patients using this kind of in-home coaching and in-home timely information provision. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's fascinating to, to think that these types of, uh, of, of care management uh, solutions are available today. Tell us a little bit about, you know, a story maybe of, of how it's, it's helped. Well, I can do one that's very, very personal. My mom lived on her own, in her own home at, until age 96. This product, this social care platform was designed very much with her in mind. She hates computers. She thinks my iPhone is the stupidest invention ever. <laughs> Technology to her is like a TV remote control is just like, why am I bothering? Just give me a knob I can turn. Okay, so you, you get the picture of an older, non-technical yes. person. So my challenge was to connect her to 
her children and grandchildren, email, text messaging, video chat, all of the things we take for granted in an internet-connected world. How do I do that? How do I make it accessible? So that was the underlying design of the Claire's Companion product was to, you know, something my mom would use. So she did. She had this thing uh, on her kitchen table. Uh, she used it every day. And then one day she didn't. Nine o'clock in the morning, I didn't see the notice that she'd taken her medications. I didn't see her read any messages or look at any mm. pictures. So we went and checked on her and she was at the bottom of the basement stairs with a broken head. Oh, no. Now, that's exactly what we were afraid of. She would not wear one of these personal emergency response buttons. She did not have a telephone that she carried with her. You know, it was absolutely the classic end story for, yeah. uh, you know, senior living at home. Happy to say she's uh, now just about 99, still going strong, but not living on her own anymore, needless to say. But that was the whole point was that, you know, we, we were able to very quickly intervene because we knew that something had gone wrong. You know, we, we had the an indication that she was suddenly not in communication in a way she regularly was. Anyway, that's one example and obviously a very personal one. No, for sure. It's uh, definitely personal and um, glad you shared it. It's a challenge, you know, and, and when, we, when we think about technology and how we could use it to benefit, there's applications and then there's areas where, where it won't work. So maybe you could share with us a time when you guys had a, a setback, maybe on the business model, maybe on the, on the uh, technology itself. <laughs> and what you learned from it that's made you better? Well, yeah, I, I have had a long history of products that didn't quite work. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that's very funny. This, this one actually is, has been pretty good because I think after many, many times of doing things the wrong way, I finally did it the right way. And the, the underlying lesson there is that, uh, as I said, I like to quote, your idea, although interesting, is irrelevant. The only idea that matters is that of a paying customer. You know, so <laughs> you can go out and try and sell your ideas all you want, but if you don't have any customers who are willing to buy it and use it, you don't really have anything. But so, yeah, <laughs> examples of setbacks. It, the again, you know, coming back to the Claris, Claris thing, you know, when we first started talking about what was needed to move care into the home, you know, our natural reaction as a younger generation who are, you know, have iPhones and tablets and things like that was, oh, well, just put a, you know, iPad into uh, your patient's home and we have to use FaceTime to talk to their doctor. And then we actually tried that, and that's it was quite a setback because, yeah. for example, touchscreens are very sensitive things. They work extremely well with young fingers. They don't mm -hmm. work very well with older fingers. They're not mm -hmm. as sensitive. And so we had innumerable cases of uh, seniors banging their fingers against touchscreens because they're getting no response. Uh -huh. Then the next thing that would happen was we had, you know, like, just touch this button to move to the next one. Well, they touch it, and the button would jiggle from side to side. Well, what's going on? Well, they have hand tremor, and the iPad is madly saying, oh, this is a swipe gesture. I want to swipe over to the other app. You know, it was just driving them nuts because the device would not respond in the way that it was expected to respond to a younger person's touch. And huh. it just, I mean, that's an example of a fundamental thing that we can miss when we're looking at it through the eyes of a different generation or a different view of the world. Yeah, that's a that's a great call out, uh, Jeff. And and so, how about the opposite side of that coin? What's one of your proudest moments in in your long history of of, of healthcare? Oh, yeah, not to, this was in a company prior to Claris Healthcare. That probably the proudest moment of our life. So we we built a system for managing blood for transfusion in acute care hospitals. Essentially, it was a 
computerized inventory system that made sure the right blood got to the right patient at the right time and the right way, all this kind of thing, just managing that whole flow. And I'll never forget the day we got a phone call from a hospital in England where the head of the blood bank phoned us in Vancouver from England and said, we just thought you'd like to know that a blood unit got all the way to the patient's bedside and your system stopped us from transfusing it because it was the wrong blood type. You just saved a patient's life. Wow. So yeah, that kind of makes my day. Absolutely <laughs> that's, does. That's a, kind of one of those red letter days, you know, that you, you kind of live for. And again, doing well by doing good. That's one where we all went home and said, yeah, not only did we get a paycheck today, we made a difference. I love it. I love it. That's a great story. And yeah, the, when you can make an impact like that, it's, uh, it's rewarding. What's something exciting that you're working on today? Well, in-home coaching thing has turned out to be incredibly powerful. As I said, you know, we've already done it in knee replacement surgery and seen a huge impact. And now we're discovering that we can have a similar impact in post-cardiac uh, surgery care, various other forms of surgery, and even in chronic care. Coaching is really a big thing. It, it has a phenomenal impact. And we're now rolling out uh, different uh, configurations. I'll say it's the same product, but different configurations for different disease states and seeing that it has a really wonderful impact on patients' lives in their own home. And we believe we're going to demonstrate that it keeps them healthier, happier, longer in their own uh, environment without needing to be put into care. That's our main, that's the why behind our company. That's why we're doing this. I think it's great. And, and so in Canada, the way that things are deployed, you go through and every, is everything paid for by the government? Well, yeah, in, in general, it's, uh, it, it's a challenge. The Canadian uh, public's perception of healthcare is that it's free. Yeah. Everything to do with healthcare should be free, which is incorrect, of course. It costs us a vast amount of money that we pay through our taxes, and uh, it's a bit of a challenge. I think the, the reason I enjoy doing work in the United States is there's a very clear connection between the value you deliver and somebody's willingness to pay for it. You know, it's a yeah. very simple formula. If you demonstrate to me that I'm going to get better patients at less cost, let's talk. Yes. Whereas in Canada, it's, uh, well, you demonstrate you can get better patients. That's great. Let's put it to the committee and maybe somebody will get up to the Ministry of Health. You know, it's, it can be very frustrating. So it's but, even uh, slower. <laughs> uh, well, in, in that sense, yeah. I mean, the adoption. Yeah. So we're me, slow uh, here in the U.S. Right? Well, yeah, well, it's true. And, and I was just going to say, if, you, you know, if you're a technology person who wants to move things quickly and go from zero to a billion dollars in two years, do not try to go into healthcare. Healthcare <laughs> is very slow. It's very conservative. And it's quite understandable because, you know, let's say you're the patient and the surgeon says, I have this newfangled new uh, surgical procedure I'd like to try out on you for the first time. Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Thanks. You know, so necessarily, uh, you know, people in healthcare tend to take steps very, very methodically, very uh, carefully based on evidence. You know, nobody's going to dive in and radically change the, the way they do things. In healthcare, it just doesn't happen. So expect it to take three times as long as would be reasonable if you're selling a new computer gizmo. Good message. So now getting into the mini syllabus lightning round, I've got a couple <laughs> questions for you. You ready? Okay, for sure. <laughs> All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Oh, I would say the most important thing is timely, actionable data. You need real world data to act upon. You can't be guessing. And one of the things that has really surprised me as we develop sensors and you know, various ways of monitoring patients is that often there's been no way to know what patients are actually doing. It's quite amazing. How can you make decisions on treatment and care if you don't know what the patient's actually doing when they're home? So yeah, data, that's, that's the key thing there. Love it. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? 
Oh, I would say right now, the biggest pitfall would be assuming that you can stop the tide being King Canute here and saying, oh, no, we're just going to keep doing things the way we do them in the institutional setting. You're going to get overwhelmed by a wave of older people and the whole system's going to break down. It has to change. I just talked about how slow it is to change. I get it, but we cannot keep doing what we're doing. So the biggest pitfall is saying, yeah, well, just this worked before. We'll keep doing it again. We have to be receptive to change and be really pushing on implementing new ways of thinking that are quite radically different from what we've done to date. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? I uh, depend on conferences myself. I mean, there's an awful lot of really good information coming out of uh, the very specialty conferences. Uh, Obviously, keeping up on your journals and things like that, that's uh, talking, (laughs) meeting people, uh, watching what others are doing. You know, communication is key. Uh, There are obviously lots of accessible resources through uh, the internet these days, but I still find the face-to-face discussions with, you know, experts in the field are really where the ideas spark off. What's one area of focus that drives everything at your company? Oh, accessibility. Kind of mentioned this idea that, you know, when we first started trying to use tablets and computers with seniors, we ran into all these bricks. And, you know, what really struck me is it's kind of unfair. You know, we have all these incredible things that we can do now over the Internet, stuff that was, you know, just indistinguishable from magic 20 or 30 years ago. And yet we've got a whole uh, kind of demographic uh, out there, you know, maybe the over 75s. We're kind of being left out of this because the devices don't suit them. The software is confusing. I get really annoyed at lazy programmers who kind of assume that you can figure this out because, you know, you're young and you're smart. It's like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, most seniors are old and smart, but they're kind of looking at this and saying, you know, at my age, I really don't have a lot of time and energy to learn Windows 10.1.2.4 version 6, right? You know, yeah. I just did version 5. You know, and it, the number of times I've heard seniors say, well, I used to use, you know, AOL, but then they changed it or something like that. You know, yeah. it, it's very, very frustrating. And I, I blame lazy programmers. <laughs> it's hard to make <laughs> something simple. It takes a lot of work to make something simple. Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. So these next two are a little more on a personal note. Number one mm-hmm. is what is your number one health habit? My number one health habit is running. I uh, don't nice. run enough, but How I do, do you uh, get out? About, uh, about three times a week, about 5K okay. a run. I, I nice. cut it back a bit because I started to have a little twinge in my knee. But uh, so far, no serious injuries. But being a West Coast boy, I'm a sailor, hiker, skier, oh. you know, all those kinds of Very things. Nice. So, so I'm trying to keep that going as long as I can. Good for you. That's awesome. And what is your number one success habit? Number one success habit is getting up every morning, looking at that big long to-do list and all the nonsense I'm you know, out there and saying, what one thing can I do today that will move the company forward? Mm. And I pick that one thing, I get that done, and then the rest of the day is details. Love it. That is so powerful. That is very powerful. So folks, you could get all of the transcript as well as the short notes to this podcast. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash Claris and you'll find it there. Or just go to outcomesrocket.health and in the search bar, type in Claris or Jeff, G-E-O-F. You'll find the entire transcript show notes as well as links to our discussion with Jeff today. What's your favorite book? Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, a lifetime a book would be really hard to say because I read thousands of books. But right now, my favorite book uh-huh. would be Factfulness by Hans Rosling, the Swedish statistician who unfortunately passed away last year. Uh, this was one of Bill Gates's recommendations. 
If you want your view of the world to suddenly turn from pessimism to optimism, I recommend that you read this book and really get a sense of how much better the world is today than it was 10, 20, 50, 100, 200 years ago. We're in a marvelous time, and this book really underscores how well off we really are. Huh. Factfulness. Factfulness. Great recommendation, Jeff. Definitely going on mine. Hadn't heard of it before. Glad you recommended it, folks. Check that one out as well. Uh, Before we conclude, Jeff, let us know a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could continue following your work or get in touch. I can help you always be found at clarishealthcare.com, which tells you everything about uh, what we're doing and gives you a way to contact me if you'd be interested. In terms of a closing thought, well, I'll go back to the, the technology thing and beg all my colleagues in the tech space, put the extra effort in to make things simple. It's hard. I know it's hard, but make it simple. Make it accessible. Make sure that everyone gets to play in this sandbox. So there you go. Love it. What a great message, Jeff, and a great call to action for all of you designing technology, implementing it. This is a key, key message. So Jeff, just want to say thank you again for spending time with us today. You bet. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 